and God cares about this building and he cares about the churches that sprinkle the landscape of this nation. And if you go to Europe today, you'll see cathedral after cathedral that were beautiful and they're empty. And if we don't get right in this nation, that's going to happen. Look around you at the sloth. Look at the empty pews. Look at the big gaps. They didn't want to hear the truth. Believe in something today. Welcome to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the sermon. And of course, the phrase extra ecclesium nulla salis comes from the Latin. It has been the doctrine of the church since the Apostle Paul. Extra means outside. Ecclesium means the church. Outside the church, nulla, there is no Salus, salvation. Outside the church, there is no salvation. And it's a very, very important doctrine of the church. It has been held by both Catholics and Protestants throughout history because it is out of the Bible. Now, one of the errors that many churches have fallen into, of course, is that after establishing the legitimacy of this doctrine from the scriptures, which is really fairly easy to do, they begin to think that no one outside their church can go to heaven. Of course, we realize that there is a church universal. There is a church of the Lord Jesus Christ around the world. There's a worldwide church. There's a, a remnant of believers, I believe, scattered in every denomination. Uh, not, not certainly everyone in this room is genuinely saved, though I think you attend one of the finest churches in the world. I know well enough as a pastor to know that there are those who are deceived, and they believe they're saved, and they aren't. And I think that that's true in different ratios and different proportions, depending on the kinds of things that are preached in the pulpit in various denominations. Some denominations, naturally, because they have become apostate and they teach things that are grossly distorted and uh, they have doctrine that's full of error, then the percentage of those that might truly be born again are probably much, much smaller. Of course, the preacher is very important. We've learned that in the pathway of grace that we've discussed out of the Bible. And we're going to continue there today, remembering that grace flows sideways. Somebody say, grace flows sideways. And the Bible says that you're saved by grace. That means that God used a means to get you saved. He used a preacher. He used a witness. He used a testimony. You heard something, and then you believed it. And then you were a whosoever and you called upon the name of the Lord and you got saved because his saving grace flowed sideways. It's very important to remember that because so many in this modern time do not properly revere the value and the necessity of the church. Much like a generation long ago that did not listen to a particular preacher of righteousness who warned them of coming judgment. And they did not properly value a structure that he built. Perhaps they said to themselves, it's only made of wood. Why should that be so sacred and holy? And they refused to get in the ark. And the rains came. 
and drown them all. Of course, everyone wants in when it's too late. And in our generation, there are many that say, I just don't see the point of those churches. I just don't think I need a church, said the man self-deceived, thinking he was born again. I just don't think I need the church. I just have a relationship between me and Jesus. You're deceived. There is no salvation outside the ark, and there will be no salvation outside the holy church of the living God. The church is a company of believers. It's groups that come together, and we've been designed by the clock of God. We find in the creation story that He's not just the Lord of life. He's also supposed to be the Lord of your calendar. He's the God of your schedule. He put a clock in your body. You have to drink water, and you have to have it within so many hours or your body will die. You have to eat food, and you have to have it within a reasonable amount of time or you'll die. And Jesus reminded us, man doesn't just live by bread alone, but by the word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, stands to reason. It was his words that created everything. And it was his breath from his mouth that put life in you. So to sustain your spiritual life, that you not be the walking dead among us. There is a time of feeding and eating It's the clock of God, and on the seventh day, there's a day of rest at least once in a cycle. Every week, you're to come back into the house of God and sit down in a corporate gathering because Jesus deliberately said, where there's two or more, the emphasis was always on the more. He wants more. The more, the better. The more that are saved, the more that can get in the ark, the better. The more that can be saved from the judgment to come, the happier it makes God. The emphasis is on the more, not the two. And that was the heart of the passage. So we need not hold up in our basement and say that we're having church together as a family and that we reject the institutionalized church because what you're doing is you're just going lower and the floodwaters will get you first in your basement. You need the church and the church needs you. Turn to your neighbor and say, you needed to be here. And so did I. We went to the book of Ephesians last week and we found something important describing what happens in a public meeting like this, in a a sanctified, set-apart, holy place called a church. Many people make a mistake and they read the passage of the Bible that says, you're a living stone and know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And somehow, after reading this, this passage of Scripture given to people who were very flippant with sin and very calloused toward how they used their sexual powers in particular, where the Word of God instructs these really carnal, bizarre Christians, really very immature and gross in their lasciviousness and the way that they were behaving. The passage of Scripture was only meant to bring value to the body that you've been given to live in that you wouldn't be calloused and have a damaged conscience and continue in sin. And somehow, as the Lord elevates the importance of our body being the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we were bought with a price, someone extrapolated from that, that particular passage that that meant that the building was nothing, that it was completely of no value. And I have to tell you, that is really, really bad interpretive skills. Because God says, I am the Lord and I change not. And you'll find out all through the Bible, including the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God 
was very, very concerned about the proper construction of a temple, a public gathering space, where the corporate body of believers came together in that weekly cycle to be refreshed by His grace. And yes, they were refreshed and repaired by the grace of God in the Old Testament too, because God is love and He is full of grace and He has always shared His love and His grace with all men since the Garden of Eden. But we've been steeped in antinomian teaching, Marcionism. We kind of come up with this idea that buildings were important in the old, but God doesn't care about the church now. He just cares about our body. Well, no, actually what the scriptures were teaching was that God cares about your body and the building. The scripture says nowhere, nowhere, that the place that we gather together on the first day of the week is not important. Jesus overlooking Jerusalem was enraged at what? at the immoral activity and the condition of the hearts of the people who came into a physical building sanctified and set apart for his father. And they were not right in their heart, therefore their behavior offended him deeply and he got violently angry over it. And he said, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves. He was concerned about the structure where people came to worship his father and you ought to be concerned about that structure because it's sanctified and it's set apart. I am the Lord, I change not. God has always, from the very, very beginning, we said the church was in his heart in the Genesis story. The three, the we, the us, the our made everything. There's never been one in the strictest sense of the word one. There are three in one. And so the entire universe is about a we. And they said, let us make man in our image. It's always been about the group. And Jesus doesn't promise any one individual. He guarantees no single individual wherever you are alone, praying in your closet, outside the church, rejecting the institution disregarding the value of the building and ignoring the clock that I've enshrined in nature itself and being free now from any idea or concept of a Sabbath because a Marcionite preacher told you you didn't have to care anymore and that the building was unimportant. He never said, I'll be with you alone whenever you pray. He did say wherever two or more, preferably more of you are gathered, say together, Together. Together is important because the Trinity is together. They have unity. In the sense of their perfect unity, they are called one. But they're three. You know, you, you want Jesus to answer your prayers? Let me show you how you can answer his because he prayed this out loud. Father, I pray that they may be one. They, the group, may be one with you just as I have been one with you. The word together is very, very important. If you disregard the value of the word together, you will die spiritually. If you get anorexia nervosa and you lose the natural instinct, that programmed clock in your mind that God designed in every human being, every living creature eats at intervals and drinks at intervals. 
Anorexia nervosa hits some young ladies in particular because of emotional damage, because they, they feel this overwhelming pressure to be perfect, like the woman in the magazine, not realizing that the woman in the magazine was airbrushed, and actually she has wrinkly legs and thighs too. And so they are damaged psychologically, and the actual clock that God programmed in every living creature is so damaged, it stops working. And they don't feel any need to eat anymore. And beautiful singers like Karen Carpenter, this beautiful voice, and she died because her clock broke, her internal clock broke. Nature and nature's God was no longer the Lord of her calendar and her schedule. And I'm here to tell you that there are some among us and your spiritual clock is broken. And he is not the Lord of your schedule because church to you is something that you do when you're not busy with other more important things. And I gotta tell you, you're suffering from spiritual anorexia nervosa. You're listening to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Don't miss the conclusion of this sermon after these messages. Our country is no longer in need of a great awakening. America is in need desperately of a resurrection. And there's a difference between a resurrection and a great awakening. In far too many American churches, the Great Commission has been reduced. The emphasis is on really getting people ready to die. But the church is not here to get people prepared to die so much as we're here to equip people and how to truly live. I've written a new book that talks about this. It's called A Storm, A Message, A Bottle. You can get a copy of the book at beyondthewallsradio.com. God bless you. Welcome back to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. And then the Apostle Paul said something so important. In the book of Ephesians, he begins describing the marriage relationship between a man and a woman. And he says, behold, after all this discussion about a man and his wife, behold, I speak of a mystery. I speak of Christ and the church. And so then you back up and reread everything that he just said about marriage. And we went through about, I think I showed 15 to 20 parallels direct parallels that are mind-boggling about marriage, how that even bringing us back to the Garden of Eden, the Bible tells us that God put Adam into a death-like sleep and he surgically split open his side and Adam obviously would have bled and God removed a part of his ribs to make Eve and then he resurrected, if you will, Adam out of that death-like surgical sleep with his side split open. He created a woman and he, he woke Adam up. And then the, the word says he presented the woman to Adam. And he said, here she is, look at her. It's this beautiful allegory. And then we see the Lord Jesus Christ in a death-like sleep. And they pierced open his side with a spear and the blood flowed. And then when he awoke three days later, the Bible says that the Father God presented the church that he built out of that sacrifice beautiful parallels that stir us in our faith. And today I want to take you to something that the Apostle Peter said, because you realize the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter were two very, very strong influences in the beginning of the church. 
They spoke with a special authority that other preachers did not carry. Paul had a unique authority because he was able after the resurrection to actually have conversations face to face with Jesus Christ, every bit as literal and real as the apostles of the Lamb had done. Uniquely, Paul only saw Jesus post-resurrection, which means Jesus had returned to his full power and glory, having picked back up what he laid aside when he was born of the Virgin Mary. And so that explains simply enough to realize why. Even though the apostle Paul was not an apostle of the Lamb, meaning one of the original 12 that traveled with the rabbi Jesus for three and a half years, and saw and witnessed everything. They're, they're in a special class, the apostles of the Lamb. You realize that. But because Paul was given this great privilege, and the Bible tells us about multiple visions and face-to-face discussions and encounters with the risen Lord Jesus Christ, then it stands to reason because he only knew Jesus after the Spirit and after the resurrection power he had an overwhelming anointing greater than all others to write most of the New Testament. But Peter, different from Paul, was one of the original apostles of the Lamb, which means he spent three years with Jesus. And so both of these men, because of their direct contact with the Lord Jesus Christ, spoke and wrote with an exceptional authority. And Peter and Paul both agreed that there was something spectacular in the parallel of the institution of marriage that goes all the way to the book of Genesis between a man and a woman. And I said earlier in the series, and I wish to repeat it, that if you do not understand the subject of grace by looking at it through a comprehension of marriage, you really can't properly understand what grace is. And there are some symbolic things rolling around inside me. One of the things that that I have learned from the Holy Spirit that I believe is really, um, I, I can't prove it with the scripture, but you can't disprove it either, is what I see when I connect the different metaphors that the scripture uses to describe us, the body of Christ, which is here. All of us together is the body of Christ. You off by yourself is a chopped off limb that gets no blood and dies, you see. A wound, you off by yourself is a wound. You connected and the Bible says you sharing your grace for the benefit of others, every joint supplies. That's what the Bible says. You have a supply that you give to the rest of the body when we come together because we honor the calendar of the Lord Jesus Christ and Father God designed from the very beginning. You have to eat the food because you don't live by bread alone. You need the preceding word, the preached word, the preaching of the word of God, and your spirit requires it a minimum of every seven days. And then we have that parallel about sexual intimacy And in the context, behold, I speak of a mystery, I speak of Christ in the church, the calendar comes up again. And you recall that the Bible forbids that a husband or a wife refuse to feed the sexual appetite. Your body is not your own, but it belongs to your spouse. So if if their appetite for intimacy and sex 
you're not allowed to go too many days without sexual intimacy in the marriage relationship. It's forbidden. And the Bible says that you are committing a sin and an injustice against your spouse if you don't put them first concerning that particular powerful appetite. It's, a, it's an appetite from God. When God said in the Garden of Eden, again, you know, we, as children we learn that he spoke, let the, let the soil bring forth the beast of the field. And it says he spoke to the firmament and said, let the firmament bring forth light. And the firmament heard his words and all the particles needed to create the fusion reactor of the sun came leaping out of the firmament and made that sun that's shining out there a little too hot for me today. And when he spoke to the dirt, all the particles to make animals jumped out of the dirt and made the animals. And when he made man, he spoke not to the dirt. We see him forming Adam out of the clay, but where did he speak? He didn't speak to the dirt. He spoke to himself, and out of him came the breath of life. And so you are made different from every other part of creation because you came out of God, not out of the dirt. And so we see all this happening, but when we're in Sunday school, we don't always hear the rest of the creation story because he kept creating, and you miss this. You get into Genesis chapter 2. And God looks, he tells us where the rivers are and that there was gold and it was good and there was all these different kinds of jewels. He begins to describe things that you just, you read it and you just think it must have been so beautiful. And it was, it was geography, it was property. And then he kept creating because he looked at Adam and Eve who up until that point, I believe they probably didn't really have much of a passion about gold and rivers and streams and beauty but God was creating then their inward nature and he said now dress the garden and guard it keep it and when he said that all of a sudden Adam is filled with a work ethic created by the spoken word of God and it's interesting because he created the work ethic before the desire to own property That's important to get that right because there's a lot of people today that they kind of want all the property but they want someone else to do the work. See, they've got got their worldview just backwards from God. And then after he created the work ethic, he said, Adam, work in the garden, keep it looking good and guard it and protect it. Work ethic was created when God spoke those words. The desire to do something and to get something done, to achieve something, that's good. That's a God-given gift. And everybody ought to have a work ethic. Requires parenting, lest we get it flipped. Because after the work ethic was created, then God said something to them. He had made Eve, went through that. And Eve was standing there when he said this. He said, now, look. And they saw the rivers and they saw the sparkling diamonds and the jewels and the beauty of the creation. And God spoke these words. He said, have dominion and subdue it. And in that moment, he was creating. He created the property instinct in every human being. Cows don't care about gold. He did not give them that desire to own and have dominion and subdue. They don't have it. When he created them, They'll just step on gold. Jesus talked about how wasteful it would be to throw pearls at pigs. 
Pigs don't find any beauty in pearls. It's people that do. It's because God made an instinct and a desire for you to own stuff. So the sex drive was created then that God keeps creating with his mouth. And I think we missed this. We don't teach it in Sunday school. We probably ought to younger, but maybe we're trying to protect them from thinking about things they don't understand. But, but God looks at Adam and Eve after that big presentation. What did he say? Multiply. And it, it turned Adam on. He was turned on when God said, multiply and have babies. And Adam went, <laughs> and Eve went, mm. God made a passion, a drive. And it was all connected to a clock, a timer. And the New Testament says a man ought to not defraud his wife of her need for intimacy. And likewise, the woman must not defraud the husband of his need for sexual intimacy. Because if you go too long, the Bible says apart, temptation into sin becomes overwhelming and the likelihood of you falling and sinning against your marriage covenant is likely. Behold, I speak of a mystery. I speak of Christ in the church. If you do not regularly feed your spirit on the seventh day in a weekly cycle, behold, I speak of a mystery. I speak of Christ in the church. And you don't honor the words of Jesus that man does not live by bread alone, but by the words proceeding out of the mouth of God and you saw the pathway through the preacher. Then you spiritually will begin to be overwhelmed by the temptations and the distractions of a world that is designed to murder you and drag your soul to hell. And what happens in Ephesians, Paul told us that the whole reason that this pathway of grace, Jesus sat down and he gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, five different kinds of preachers. Get over into Romans chapter 10 and Romans says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then why would anyone call upon the name of the Lord had they not believed something that was true about God? And then he asked the rhetorical question, how could anyone believe unless they heard? And how could anybody hear unless they heard a preacher? And how could there be a preacher unless God sent them? So we get over to Ephesians chapter four and it tells us five kinds of preachers that Jesus sent down here and that's the pathway of grace. Grace flows sideways. It comes through the preacher. It goes into you, but God wants it to go out of you. And he wants you to become the channel of grace, the source of it. When we get together, Ephesians four says, first, this gathering when we're together at church is for the repairing of the saints. So when we come into the corporate, you can't do that by yourself, it doesn't work that way. You will not get repaired in the same way that you do when you come to church and sit down with the body of Christ. When you're sitting in the room and the preacher's preaching, God is so merciful that he uses someone as flawed as me and he allows grace, it's supernatural. I can't take any credit for it because I know it came from him. You can't take any credit for the great things you achieve because it's all by grace and it's his grace that came through me. I'm just a pipe. I can't take credit for anything that comes through me except just to be a willing pipe. That grace comes into you and then it flows out of you and it's not of works lest any man should boast. So you're able to do extraordinary things by the grace of God and not get haughty over it and get all caught up in yourself 
about how wonderful your prayer life is and how great your ministry is because it's all because of Jesus anyway, amen. And so that's why it's not of works lest any of us should boast. And it's important to say that about boasting because only humble people get grace. God gives grace to the, and that's it. Nobody else gets it. Pride goeth before a fall, but God gives grace only and exclusively to the humble. 